All right, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Um, we're going to be covering the entire chapter, which is 71 verses, so there's that. Um, but uh, it will, it's, there's two very familiar uh, miracles in this, two different things that Jesus does, and there's some teaching uh, that, we'll be, that we'll be going over. Um, when I was young, when I was growing up, um, we watched Channel 5 for our news. That was the, the CBS in our area. Uh, and, and I grew so accustomed to watching those reporters give the news that I, that I really couldn't imagine watching any other channel. Now, my parents didn't tell me this, but I kind of thought that people that watched the other news channels were strange. Uh, it was like they were trying to get less news or trying to get you know worse weather reports. So I could not... Um, watch anybody else but John Nodar tell me what the weather was going to be and I figured everybody else was wrong and I also couldn't watch anybody but Randy Patrick maybe sometimes Scott Hunter tell about the the sports the most recent sporting events those were the guys that I listened to now the other news I didn't pay much attention to but the weather and the sports I was interested in and so I had an exclusive relationship with Channel 5 for my news that was the way that I viewed that didn't want to watch anything else didn't want to hear from anyone else um, today we're going to watch uh, Jesus and his disciples. Um, he's going to teach both his disciples and the crowds who followed him that we must depend on him exclusively or we can't follow him at all. And so that's what Jesus calls us to as an exclusive relationship, much like you might have with your favorite news channel or your, you know, whatever, is, whatever you are exclusive to, we must be exclusive to Jesus. We can't depend on other people. We can't depend on other things. And he's going to teach the disciples and he's going to teach the crowds this as well. Uh, so we'll see two very well-known miracles and read some difficult teachings but in the end, we will learn who Jesus is and who we need to be to follow him. That's the most important thing. So as we read this passage, study this passage, one thing we're going to see is the nature of Christ. Who is Jesus? Uh, who is he for us? Who is he in general? So many people have ideas about who Jesus is, but the Bible tells us who he is. And so that's where we're going to look to meet our Savior. So the sermon in the sentence is this. It may not be easy to follow Jesus, but he is sufficient for all of our needs. And if we are faithful, we will remain with him or will remain until the end. Um, the measure of a Christian is not how we start, but how we finish. And so that is what we're going to see as we look at this passage. So it is a lengthy passage, um, but, but there's a lot that we need to see in this. And so I'm going to read beginning in, in chapter 6, verse 1, all the way through the chapter. It says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. He just put that in there because some of his readers were Gentiles, and so Galilee uh, was kind of a local name. Tiberias was the name of the capital city uh, that, a, that a king had built, and so normally the sea was known after Tiberias, uh, outside of the region of Galilee. Verse 2, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. 
Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. On uh, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, uh, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments uh, from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that, they had, that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, the disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Now it was, or it was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because of a strong wind that was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to, make, or to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that, saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the work of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. At that, the father, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, 
not to do as my own will, or not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because because of the Father, whosoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me." This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in a synagogue, uh, in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are Spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. 
Okay, so I know that's a lengthy passage, um, but let's get into this. We're going to kind of take it part by part and look at what, um, what is happening here. And first of all, we're going to see that Jesus is the provider. So we begin with the feeding of the 5,000, um, which is the only sign outside of the Holy Week um, that's included in all four Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John all record this sign. So we get to see this as, as it is, is supposed to be seen with all the different contexts. So we're able to know a lot of what happened here. So it seems that yet another year has passed since the last chapter. So we know that John chapter 4 happened, at least six months if not a year happened, and now before John chapter 5, and now it seems that we're to another Passover. So it looks like two years of Jesus' ministry has already happened. Now, John doesn't tell us a whole lot of the events that happened in uh, Galilee because the Synoptic Gospels tell us a lot of that. His focus is more in what Jesus does in Jerusalem. So there's maybe an 18-month Galilean ministry that we don't get to see a lot of at this particular time. Now, what we do know is that during this particular Passover, Jesus does not go down to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where his enemies are at this particular time, and, it, and for this Passover, he chooses not to go down there and begin to challenge them in their own strongholds. Instead, he takes the Passover up in Galilee. Now, um, we know that when Jesus is traveling the countryside, he's healing the sick, he's doing miracles and signs that, that John doesn't record. Some, the, the, uh, the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke record, but, but not necessarily all. There's a lot of people following him, a tremendous number of people. A big crowd is probably around him or ready to respond most any time he gets to talking. Um, and so as Jesus moves about the countryside teaching and healing, one massive crowd stays with him all morning and into the afternoon. Now, Jesus was most likely teaching them. There were definitely signs that he was doing among the sick uh, and, and, and no shortage of miracles whatsoever. But probably when they were on this hill, when they were on this mountain, Jesus was teaching them. And so the teaching goes on into the afternoon. Most of these people would not have eaten since breakfast. And so it was beginning to be something that was serious. From the other Gospels, we find out that it's first the disciples that come to Jesus and say, hey, we need to send these people into the farms and the villages nearby so that they can buy their own food so that they can eat. They were already thinking about the fact that these folks hadn't had anything to eat. We need to send them on their way. Now, the, the, uh, Jesus rejects this idea. Uh, we do know that. And this is where John picks back up. And he has Jesus actually ask Philip the question, where are we going to go to buy these people food? Now, we know that Jesus' group, the, the, the small, the nucleus, they had a small treasury. We know that Judas kept that treasury. Um, but, but Philip says that not even 200 denarii could actually buy enough food for each person to have even a little bit uh, to eat during this particular time. Now, a denarius was about 17 cents or a day's wage for a regular worker during this time. So Philip was talking about a, a total of, of roughly $34. Now, that would have had a lot more buying power back then than it would today, um, but it would have actually more or less been a small fortune at that time, but it still wouldn't have been enough to feed a crowd of 5,000 men. Just remember that, that when the Bible mentions men, there probably are women and children around as well. We know of one little boy. So Jesus knew this. He didn't need 
Philip to do the math on that, but it was a test. And what he was trying to do was set up to, so that the disciples would know, at least the 12 would know, that what Jesus was about to do was impossible. Because that's what Jesus does. He does things that are impossible for the rest of us. And so um, they needed to know what size miracle he was about to do. So true to his character, Andrew, Peter's brother, brings somebody to Jesus. Andrew probably, well, he says he doesn't think this will help, but there is this. And so he brings this little boy. Um, and and, and this, this, this lad with his lunch, it was five barley cakes. So the barley cakes would have been about the size of a man's hand, probably round because basically they'd mix barley and flour together, milk and eggs, and they would, they would put them on a pan and then they would just kind of flatten out and, and, and bake. They, they didn't put yeast in them. And so he would have had five little barley cakes and then two fish. Now these fish would have either been smoked or pickled and they'd have been about the size of a sardine. So probably the head on. So uh, not a very big meal for a bunch of people, but pretty good for the little boy, right? And so that's one of the things, um, that, that's what Andrew brought. He said, but what is this for so many? Now, some people say there were two miracles done on this day. One, the miracle, and supremely the miracle that, that Jesus did by providing for all of these people from this small little lunch. And the other miracle is that the boy hadn't already eaten his lunch by mid, mid-afternoon. Um, but certainly, uh, certainly the, the first order is what Jesus did. Um, despite the doubt of his disciples, um, Jesus orders the men to be sat down. From one of the other Gospels, we learned that they were sat down in groups of 50. And so that's why we get the numbers. It would have been easy. If you've got groups of 50, it would be easy to count and see how many people were there. And so they sat down in this area, this field, and it would have been raised, but it would have been a field. Now, remember, Passover happens during the spring, and so beautiful grassy field. Mark actually describes this because the people have all their different colors. The Jews were known to have multicolored robes and things like that after the tradition of Joseph, and so he said it looked like blooming flowers, and so it's a beautiful sight to see all these people spread out. And so Jesus prays over the bread, and gives thanks for the food, and then gives it to the disciples to be distributed. When does this become an obvious miracle? It's unclear because Jesus would have been able to hold all five barley loaves in his hand easily. He prays, he breaks them, distributes them. He would have been able to hold the two sardines in his hand, pray, breaks them, distributes them. So when did it become a miracle? When did it multiply? That's really not super clear. But what we know is that everybody received a portion and everybody was able to eat their fill. Not that everybody just got some, like what Philip was suggesting. If we spent small fortune, we might be able to give everybody a scrap of bread. But they were actually able to eat their fill. So the, there's a Jewish custom um, to save a little bit of the food served for the server. So each of the 12 disciples were able to collect a basket full of leftovers after the people had eaten their field. Now Jesus made mention, be sure to collect it all so none goes to waste. And so each disciple was able to take their basket around and collect a full basket of the leftovers. Now, these baskets were called uh, kofinos, and they were a common item that a traveling Jew would have. These baskets were usually carried, or usually carried hay and food, so no Jew would ever be forced to buy provisions from a Gentile. So they would have their food, they would have their hay. The hay they could spread out, and that was their bed, their food, so they didn't have to buy anything from the Gentiles. And even if the disciples, their, their baskets would have been empty, they would have certainly had their baskets. Uh, one Roman historian makes a note of this, that 
that, that, that the, the Jews were always carrying around their baskets. And so that was something that, um, that's where those baskets would have come from, is that they all carried them around for almost like their luggage or their, their, their go bag that they always had with them. Um, so in the, in the case of the baskets, um, they're used, in this case, the baskets are used to carry this abundant overflow of God's blessing. So we're able to see just how much God provided. So as the disciples went out distributing, when they came back around, they were able to fill their baskets with that overflow. So immediately, some of the Jews connected this event to the words of Moses. Um, this is a quote, Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 18, or maybe 18, 15, I didn't write that down, I should have. Um, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So Jesus was clearly a prophet in their mind because he had performed a sign. Um, that was definitely something that they would have been able to check. Uh, the ministry of Jesus had been primarily in Galilee, 18 months ministering in Galilee, so that would have definitely been another check for them that he was there in Galilee. Um, so he was among them. He was also a Jew, which means that he would have been from their brothers. Now the part about listening to him, that's the part that they kind of miss on all of this. And so instead of listening to Jesus, they try to take him by force and make him their king. There are strategic benefits to this. Jesus has already proven to be a healer. So you don't need a medical corps in, in, a, in an army because you've got Jesus. He can just heal the wounded. You don't even need recruiters because you've already got 5,000 men, and if anybody falls, Jesus can just raise them up again. You don't need a, a, a commissary or anything like that because you've got Jesus that can provide even from the smallest amount of food. He can feed the entire army. So from that perspective, it would have made sense for them that Jesus could be a, a vital part of the army, and they were going to take him and make him their king. Why? Well, what we've been seeing in Wednesday nights, and certainly we've been seeing in this, the people were tired of Roman rule. They were tired of other rulers in general, and so they wanted their freedom. They wanted their independence, and again, they wanted Israel to become a significant nation in the Middle East again. And so Jesus was, what they saw was a ticket to that. And so they were prepared with Jesus to fight against the Romans. Now, what would have happened? Well, I've seen people speculate that, you know, they would have lost. Uh, Jesus would have been executed as some kind of traitor or whatever. Um, I don't know that they would have lost with Jesus on their side, but that's not what Jesus' mission was. Jesus was not to be a political or military leader. He was not mm, to be a field surgeon in, a, in an army. Jesus was meant to be the Savior of the world, and so that was not God's plan for him. So, um, Jesus knew that they were about to force him to be king, so he left the crowd and went up into the mountain. Probably in all the mix of everybody being amazed and wondered about the, the, the food and getting together and saying, hey, we need to make him our king, Jesus was able to slip away and he went to a private place up uh, further up the mountain. Now, the, the people, they were still misunderstanding what sort of Messiah Jesus would actually be. He was not there to uh, merely feed them and overthrow the Romans. He was there to rescue the world from sin. That's what he was there to do. So for, for the people, they were seeing what was right in front of them, just like us. They were seeing what was right in front of them. He just fed me. I know he can heal me. Let's go defeat the Romans. That's what they could see. It was right in front of them. But what they didn't see was that Jesus had a much grander mission. Even today, people misunderstand 
what Jesus' work in this world is all about. I do believe that. He is the provider, but not nearly, merely of daily bread. You have so many people that think that Jesus is going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. There are so many people that believe that, that Jesus is just what you are going to ask for. Jesus is going to be able to give it immediately. Not that he cannot, but that's not always how he does it. Jesus provides for our daily needs to demonstrate that his true mission is to provide for our eternal needs. And so he does the one to show you that he's always going to do the other. That's the point of it. So when he provides for those daily needs, we don't need to get confused and think that that's all that God does. And so in our prayers, we don't always need to come to God with just daily needs. I need this today, I need this today, I need this today. God is not your shopping list. But he will meet those daily needs so that we can trust and know that he will meet our eternal needs. And so that's what Jesus was doing here, but the sign was missed. People thought, well, if he can meet our daily needs, then he can meet our daily needs tomorrow and the day after that, and the day after that. So people try to make Jesus, or people today try to make Jesus out to be a social warrior when nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus is not trying to fix the systems of the world. Instead, he's saving us from out of those systems before he replaces them. There are a lot of people nowadays that are beating on that drum that Jesus was a social warrior, that he was here to fix this problem and this problem and this problem in the world. There's a problem in this world and Jesus came to fix it, but it's not the government and it's not the politics and it's not the people, it is sin. Jesus came to fix the sin. He is saving us from out of this world and then he is going to replace all the structures and systems and all the things that are in this world. He's going to replace them because they are corrupted. And so Jesus is not going to fix the United States. He is not going to fix any other country. Jesus is going to save us from out of that, and then he's going to replace it. We need to be prepared to know that. Jesus is not a social warrior. He is a spiritual king, and he will change everything when the time comes. Our role is to obey Jesus and depend on him for our every need. That's what we are supposed to do. We are not supposed to say, Jesus, you need to change the president, or Jesus, you need to change the Congress, or, or, or this or that. That's not what he's here to do. That's not what he came the first time to do. We don't see him making and, 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 and breaking kings, not even in the first time. That's not what he does. When Jesus comes and he takes on the kings of this world, they will all fall before him. So he's not going to pick one here, there, and yonder to change. He will rule when he comes back. And so what we need to understand is that in the meantime, it is about the salvation of us. It is about the salvation of those that we can speak to and share the gospel with. It is not, it is not simply about the daily needs or the, or the immediate needs. It is about the eternal. So the next thing is that Jesus is the protector. Now I am going to move quicker through some of this material. Um, this is the part where Jesus walks on the water. And, and you know there are fuller versions of the story where you know, Peter goes out and walks with him and there's, there's calming of the storm that happens, which does happen here. Um, but what we see here is that while Jesus was somewhere in the mountains, the disciples begin to cross the sea to Capernaum. Uh, they faced a difficult wind and were not making progress until they saw Jesus walking on the water. Now, in other accounts, that's where we find out um, that they might have thought that he was a ghost. What would you think? You're in the middle of the lake or the sea and somebody's walking on it. 
probably your first thought wouldn't be, oh, there's, there's this guy I know walking on the water. You're probably going to be thinking something different is going on, and certainly that's what the disciples thought. Um, Simon, actually, once he realizes who this is, he goes out and tries to walk with Jesus. Now, it, it is clear that Simon does walk on the water, but he also looks around at the wind and the waves, and that's when he begins to sink. And then Jesus comes and catches him, and then they both get in the boat together. So as soon as Jesus enters the boat, the wind dies down, and the disciples can row to shore. It says that they were immediately at the shore, but the way that it's worded doesn't necessarily indicate that they just transported, but that now, with the wind and the waves died down, it's a short journey, and they were able to row very quickly. So here's some things. Many of the disciples were experienced fishermen, so crossing the sea would not have seemed like a huge challenge. It would be like driving to Walmart for us or, or even something simpler. It would not be something that we would think, oh, I, I better spend some time in prayer. I better gather all of my spiritual energy to where I can be ready to do this. It's not that. This was more of a common thing that they were just expecting to be normal for them. But because of this situation, they're able to see that they can't even do the normal things without Jesus. They're finding that even the normal things in life are dangerous. We have moments in our lives where we learn this, that those dangerous things or those normal things are also very dangerous. We learn that in our lives because at the end of the day, it's not about what you're doing. It's about what happens. And so, yes, they had crossed that sea. Yes, they had fished that sea. Yes, they had lived on that sea, some of them. But it could still take their lives, and we need to be aware of that as well. Now, the disciples were meant to learn in this particular moment that Jesus is their protector in every situation, even when they did not know that they needed a protector. Now, I don't have to point to the tragedies that... that, that that are constantly happening. Um, we look at that thing that happened with the condo collapsing. Probably nobody in that condo thought, I need protection. They probably all thought, well, you know, we're in a building, we're fine. And then it collapses. We don't know these things. We don't know what is happening. We need Jesus. We need Him as our protector, and we need that all the time. No matter what we might be facing or what we think is safe, we need Jesus, and we need to depend on Him. We go through situations every day that seem normal, but if we are wise, we will always look to the protection of Jesus. Search for His protection, for His help, for His strength, not what we have and not what we know. That's what we have to remember is that Jesus is the protector. Now, this last point kind of summarizes all of the stuff about the bread of life. It, I am going to go through that fast, but I do want to make a few points here as we uh, finish this up. So Jesus is the sustainer. So he's the provider. He provides for us, but he is also the protector. He protects us. And finally, he is the sustainer. He keeps us going. And that's what this whole passage is about. So the next day, the crowds realize that Jesus is gone. They finally track him down at Capernaum. So they play a little bit of, you know, Sherlock Holmes. They say, well, he, he didn't get on the boat with the disciples. The, boat, the disciples are gone, so where's Jesus? And they eventually figure out that he's at Capernaum. They ask the question, how'd you get over here? Because, you know, you weren't, you, you didn't, weren't on the boat. He doesn't, he, he doesn't even answer that. He just says, well, y'all are just here because you ate the bread yesterday and you want to eat the bread today, basically. Uh, Jesus knows that they are seeking the next miracle, and he tells them to seek the eternal instead of the temporary. And that is a lesson that we ourselves can learn. Will Jesus meet our daily needs? Yes. 
So let us focus on the things that last. Let us focus on the eternal. Jesus himself will take care of those details. Let us focus on the things that matter, the things that last. They're commanded to do the work of God, which is to believe in Jesus. That's what he tells them. This is the work of God. Believe on him whom God has sent. So even after the meal the previous day, the crowd has the audacity to ask Jesus for a sign so that they can believe on him. By this point, he's probably been in Galilee for 18 months. He has probably healed the sick. Uh, he has probably made the blind to see. He's probably made the lame to walk. We know that he did that in Jerusalem. Um, he has done all these wonderful miracles. Even yesterday, he was feeding 5,000 people with one little boy's lunch. And so, yes, Jesus has already performed all the signs that he needs to in order for people to believe on him. But they ask for yet another sign. This is, this is the problem with this. So Jesus says... He goes on this long speech where he says, I am the bread of life and that he will sustain those that have been given to him. Now Jesus makes some very important statements here. Very important statements. So he goes into talking about the fact that the Father gives him people and he'll never lose anybody that the Father gives him. This is very important because a lot of people are about to stop following Jesus. So think about this for a minute. If the Father gives people to Jesus, he never loses them. So the people that do leave Jesus weren't given to Jesus by the Father, they just came along. There are people that always just come along. They come along for a time, they see what they see, they benefit from certain parts of it, and then they leave. And that's what these crowds were. And many of the people that would have considered themselves disciples even, they were the ones that would come and then they would leave. Jesus makes it clear that he would not lose anybody that is given to him by the Father. Now, God, when he gives someone to Jesus, he gives them the ability to understand and to believe and to accept what Jesus is saying. So you might be sitting here saying this morning, well, am I one that just came along or am I one that God gave to Jesus? Well, if you believe what Jesus said, if you believe the things that Jesus has taught, then you are one that God has given to Jesus. And he will keep you and he will hold you. This is one of the reasons that we believe in eternal security. We believe that you can't lose your salvation because it's not you that are winning it, keeping it, or anything. It is Jesus himself that is bringing about your salvation. We believe that Jesus is keeping us. This is particularly important, again, because people, uh, many, many people are about to stop following Jesus. Got, got you here early. Um, so, uh, at this point, we learned that not everyone will be able to come to Jesus. This is a difficult thing. Not everyone will be able to come to Jesus. Why? Because some people just can't believe. What's in the way? What stops them? Well, we don't know that. But not everyone can see Jesus as a Savior. The Jews of his day, uh, they saw him as a local boy, um, while the religious leaders saw, saw him as a threat. People today uh, see him as a salve for their conscience or um, a challenge to their intelligence. Whatever. You know, Jesus, Paul said that Jesus is a stumbling block to some uh, and, and, and the rock of offense to others. So we know that people have looked at Jesus and saw different things. Some people even look to Jesus and see a path to worldly riches. And all of these things are wrong and bad. Jesus is plainly the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Savior of the world. That's who Jesus is. When we make him something that, that the Bible doesn't make him, we are making our own idol, something else to worship. We come to him as we are and expect him to change us into what we should be. 
that is the way that we come to Jesus. We don't come to Jesus giving him a list of things. Jesus, I want you to do this for me, and I want you to do this for me, and I want you to do this for me. No, we come to Jesus how we are. We sing this song, just as I am. We come to Jesus as we are, and we expect him to make changes in us, to make us the way that we should be, because we know that we are not from the beginning. We submit to him and take what he gives us not what we ask for. This is important. This is very important. When Jesus is our king, we take what he gives us, not what we ask for. He knows what's best, not us. We reject our old life and spend the rest of our days trusting in no one or nothing but him. Our old ways, our old life, that has to be gone. We have to trust in Jesus. We have to trust in him and live for him, not our old way. So when Jesus says that he is giving us his flesh and blood, that means that our lives can only be sustained by him. What is it that physically sustains us? It is our food, right? It's what we eat. That's what sustains us. And so if you eat well, then you theoretically are supposed to live well. Well, what is going to sustain us is Jesus himself. That's what's going to sustain us. And so we must depend on him, not on anything else. This is a point where I would say, if you have only 15 minutes to read, spend it all in the Bible. If you've got three hours to read, maybe then you can find yourself a good devotional or a good Christian book. But if you only have a few moments to read, spend it in the Word of God. Dine on the bread that was sent from heaven. There is no source of life or strength outside of Jesus. There are a lot of things that circulate around where people, where people try to get something extra from it. Um, you have to be careful nowadays because there's a lot of spiritualized things that are out there that people are saying this gives you this or this gives you that. Jesus is your source. He is your only source for any strength or any life. He is your source. As Christians, we cannot look at people, riches, or worldly wisdom to sustain us only Jesus. Don't be taking the world's ideas and thinking that's going to help you in your follow, following of Jesus. It will not. It is only Him. Now, finally, the last point. Only the faithful will remain. So, this mentions that many people walked away from Jesus, even some that would be considered His disciples. It also mentions that one of the twelve was going to betray Jesus. So, many of the people following Him left. They could not follow Him because they could not accept His teaching. Now, were they thinking in the temporary? Were they thinking in the now? Yes, they were definitely thinking in the now because they asked, how's this man going to give us his flesh so that we can eat it? It sounds like they weren't totally opposed to eating Jesus. They just didn't know how he was going to do it. These are some weird people, but what we understand is that Jesus himself was teaching them, I will sustain you. They could not accept that. They could not accept that he was one greater than Moses. They could not accept that he was sent from heaven. They could not accept what he was teaching. So there are many who love the benefit of Jesus, but hate his words and his demands. What does Jesus promise? Well, from, from our early days, we're, we're told Jesus promises eternal life. So we like that. But we don't necessarily like that he tells us how we're supposed to live. We don't like that he tells us what we're supposed to do. That is where a lot of people stop following Jesus because they don't like those demands on their lives. Well, Jesus comes with his demands. He is not just the Savior, but he is also the Lord. Even one of his disciples would eventually turn away from Jesus because he was not faithful. If we are to follow Jesus, we must be faithful even when we do not understand him. I am not an old man by most people's standards yet, but I will tell you there are times where God asks you to do things and you don't understand. 
And I believe there will be more and more times like that in my life and there are more and more times like that in your life where you see a situation and you know what God's leading you to do, but you don't understand it. Trust Him. Trust Him no matter what. You will never be worse for trusting God. You will always be worse for denying God. We should, we should accept nothing that this world has to offer. It has nothing of value for us. It just doesn't. It absolutely is not worth it. We must depend only on Jesus. So what do we know about Jesus? What is the nature of Jesus? Well, He is our teacher. He tells us what is truth. He tells us what we're to do. He is our provider. He is the one that gives us what we need. He is our protector. He's watching out for us when we don't even know we need to be watched out for. And He is our sustainer. He is the one that keeps us going. He provides our eternal life. So these are the things we know about Jesus. We must trust in Him. We must not depend on anything else. Just like Channel 5, you've got to be exclusive to Jesus. Don't listen to the teachings of any, anyone else or anything else. Don't depend on the strength that you get from other things. Depend on Jesus Himself. Only on Him and we will be faithful and we will be followers to the end. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much uh, for your word. I thank you for Jesus who was, he, who was here to declare your plan to us. It is one of the great things that we praise you for, that gospel. It does not depend on our work and praise you for that because we are not able to do that work. It does not depend on our strength and we praise you for that, for we are not strong. It does not even depend on our righteousness. And we praise you for that, for Jesus' righteousness far exceeds ours. You save us. You seal us. You give us eternal life. You provide for us. You protect us. You sustain us throughout everything that we face. And we give you glory and praise for it. I pray that this day as we gather together that we will take encouragement from that. We will know that it is not depending on us. It is depending on you. In all circumstances and situations, we rely on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.